If you turn with me now as we come to the preaching of God's Word to Judges chapter 15, I'm going to hear this word from Judges chapter 15 this morning. I would like to begin in verse 19. I think there's a little phrase in here that will help shed a little light on our passage this morning. But before I begin, let me pray and ask God's blessing on us as we turn to the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would bless this word this morning. Lord, restrain the sin that is in our hearts that would seek to reject your word and turn from it. Restrain Satan and his temptations and distractions that he would bring that would thwart the progress of your word in our lives. May your Holy Spirit overcome and overpower all obstacles this morning. And Lord, may Jesus Christ be exalted before our eyes as he is publicly portrayed as crucified through the preaching of your word, that we may know the salvation that we have in him, the hope of eternal life, and the calling that he has placed upon our lives to reflect you in all that we do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Judges chapter 14, verse 19, all the way to the end of verse 15, verse 20. Hear now the reading of the word of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. After some days, the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go in to my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And, he, and her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given, him, given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. After that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam. And said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, 
that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into, the hand, into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arm became as flax that caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramoth-Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called En-Hakore. It is in, that it is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines, 20 years. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord to us. It is one of the more fascinating stories in all of Scripture, taking foxes, tying up by their tails, putting torches into it, and sending it into somebody's granaries and lighting them on fire. I don't know if you've ever been this angry, but Samson certainly was. And I don't know if when you were angry, this is the course of action that you would take, but that is what is presented to us in our text this morning. It is as humorous as it is astonishing and surprising. And I think there's a reason for this that we'll see today. But this passage for us is about fiery vengeance, the fiery vengeance of Samson that we see here outlined for us in the text. And it's an instruction for us today about how we see our anger and our vengeance. The end of chapter 14 ends with Samson storming off in hot anger because these men figured out his riddle by cunning. They deceived him by his brand new wife to reveal the secret. And he storms off in anger. And now we see the results of his anger flaming out. What does this mean for us in our anger? How do we respond when we're angry? Are we like Samson? Do we deal with our anger in different ways, in ways that God has called us to deal with our anger? Well, I'd like us to look and see what this text has to show us about Samson's anger, his fiery vengeance that he executes, and what the Lord has to teach us today from this passage. Now, we saw verse 19, Samson goes off in hot anger, goes back to his father's house. He was bested by the Philistines, left angry, and God used this anger of Samson as an opportunity against the Philistines. The God is sovereign over even our evil, that he can use our evil for his purposes. Doesn't excuse our evil that we do, but God is sovereign over it. But Samson now returns to take back his wife, who he had left before. Gone back home, and now he returns. He brings a gift, a, a goat, a way to try and win her back over, and he wants to go into the room. He wants to consummate his marriage, but his father-in-law is going to have none of it. His father wants nothing to do with what Samson does. He says, "You have surely you have hated her, and she said that to Samson in the previous chapter. Do you hate me, not revealing me to this, this secret? 
And so Samson's father-in-law, in the intervening period, gave Samson's wife to his best man, his very good friend. And you can imagine his anger, why he's so furious in this moment. But the text gives us one interesting little detail in the beginning. At the time of the wheat harvest, now we live in a farm, in farm country, the, the farm belt or whatever, I can't even remember, Midwest. Uh, sorry, Californian coming through at this moment. Uh, we live in the Midwest and we understand the wheat harvest. We understand when it's harvest season, how important it is to protect this. This is all of their livelihood. These were agrarian cultures and they depended completely upon their harvest seasons to protect them. So we keep that as a note in our mind. His, Samson's father-in-law realizes, oh, you, didn't, you wanted your wife. You wanted to keep her. And realizes there's nothing he can do to undo this. So he tells Samson, you can have my daughter, my other daughter, my younger one. And he tries to appeal to Samson's baser desires that we see as Samson is one who is motivated simply by what he sees. She is more beautiful. Take her. But Samson doesn't want this. And he takes matters into his own hands, his own hands. And we see his vengeance unfurl before us in the most astonishing way. We can see a bizarre circumstance of Samson's rage. He rounds up 300 foxes and ties their tails together and places torches between them. You know, why does the text tell us these things sometimes? We look and we think, why all these intricate details? Why does it just say he went and burned down all of their grain? Well, there's a very significant reason for us in this text that we will see as we go along. But it's very detailed. He takes these tails, ties them end to end, and puts torches in between them and lets them go, as you imagine, two foxes tied together by their tails going into wherever it is with fire between them. They're going to be throwing a big fit and attacking each other, spreading that flames all over. And we see exactly what happens. Samson's actions lead to utter devastation for these Philistines. It burns all of their grain, even all the way out to their orchards. The stack grain, the standing grain, and then the orchards catch on fire. And we learn our first lesson this morning about the nature of our anger. That it is often, once kindled, breaks out of control. James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Samson is not acting in God's name here. This is his own anger flaming out. His anger is guided by what he feels, what his sense of justice is. And so often our anger is carried out in the same way. Our own sense of injustice, our own sense of what we feel. Samson's in a way, behaving like a little child who the moment he doesn't get what he wants, he's throwing a fit, except now as a grown man with power, it has devastating effects, breaking everything, destroying everything in his path. We may have just cause for being angry. Samson does. He has just cause. His father-in-law recognizes that what he's done is wrong, and so he tries to make amends. And even when we have just cause for anger, does that mean that our response is measured? Is it, is it appropriate to the wrong that's been done? We often ignore the exhortation from Psalm chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. 
No, there is no silence here in Samson, as it is often for us. But there's something else interesting in this text. There's two words here for the grain that is used one other place in Scripture. Exodus 22, verse 6. It says, If fire breaks out and catches in thorns, so that the stacked grain, or the standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Samson is violating this command of Scripture here. He has broken out fire of his own doing, burning down the livelihood of the Philistines. Now, they're certainly worthy of burning down, but this is not the way that the Lord would have him go about it. The portrayal of Samson is one who is continuing to violate God's law, using this as a way to take justice into his own hands. And as we see with Anger and vengeance, once kindled, it often spirals out of control. We think we are the masters in control of the situation, but it is our anger who is mastering us. Our perceived wrongs beget even more and more wrongs. Proverbs 17 says, The beginning of strife is like letting out of water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Samson clearly is an example of this proverb on the second half. It has broken out. Samson attacks them, and now the Philistines return the favor to Samson. They go, and they know this is the very thing that Samson has treasured, this wife, and they burn her and her father. There is probably some sense of injustice that the Philistines are aware that happened, and so they execute them as well. But Samson realizes, you're attacking the very thing I love, and he again returns the actions upon them. If this is what you do, I swear, verse 7, I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, every part of them. It is just the unfurling of anger and vengeance. I will get you back for what you have done to me. But the Philistines are going to have their final response to Samson. They're not done. Yes, you have made a great blow against us, but now we are going to make our great blow against you. They're going to capture Samson. They overrun Judah. Samson flees from where he is, and the Philistines likely further along towards the coast, and he goes up into a region of the cliffs, the clefts of rock, up in Judah, and he hides out there. Philistines get word of this, and they come up to Judah. And Judah responds when they see this army of men coming, and they say, why have you come up against us? Why have you raided our land? What are you searching for? What are you doing? Why are you knocking door to door and taking whatever you want? And they tell, we have come up. We have come up because of Samson. We have come to bind Samson to do to him as he has done to us. There's something significant here for us about Judah, the tribe of Judah is the very beginning tribe in the book of, of Judges. In the book of Judges, this is how it begins. The very first two verses say this. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. But here now at the latter part of the book of Judges, we see Judah's response. Why are you attacking me? 
A few weeks ago, we saw that the Israelites are no longer crying out for deliverance for the Lord, asking them to rescue them from the Philistines. And now the Philistines are thinking, we're at peace with you guys. Life is good. Why are you coming after us? What did we do? They're surprised when the Philistines attack them. It's a complete reversal of the situation. Judah, the one to lead Israel into the promised land to rid them of all the, un- the unholy people that were there, they are now at peace with those very people. And when the Philistines announce their own man-centered justice, there's no response from Judah. They just simply acquiesce and triple their army to go find Samson. The text tells us 3,000 men of Judah go down to find Samson. And they confront him as a whole army. 3,000 men against one man. When they get to Samson, they ask him this question. Do you not know that the Philistines are ruling over us? Why would you do such a thing, Samson? Don't you know the Philistines are ruling over us? Why on earth would you disturb them? Life is good. Do you hear what they're saying? Life under these evil, wicked men who worship false gods is fine. It's good. Judah no longer wants to be delivered. There's no desire to follow the Lord in their their land. The very land that God had given to Israel, Israel is content to now live not just side by side, but underneath the rule of the Philistines. It's a portrayal of mankind when we become content in our sins. When we're content and we don't want anything to change. And we don't like it when people confront us, when people challenge the circumstances. We want to just go on as normal. They don't want to worship Yahweh alone. They don't want to establish Yahweh's name alone in the land. And they're mad mad at Samson that he has messed this all up. How does Samson respond to them? Do you not know this? What is this you have done? Samson's response is the same as the Philistines. As they have done to me, so I have done to them. It's the same. Sure, he's been wronged. But he just takes matters and vengeance into his own hands. I did it. They deserved it. And sadly, Judah sides now with the Philistines, turning against their own judge, siding on the side of their enemies. And they turn to Samson to capture him, to hand him over to the Philistines. Yes, we won't kill you. No guarantees, though, with what the Philistines are going to do to you. Samson surrenders and allows them to tie him up. And he's handed over to the Philistines. But again, our text here, is very deliberate in what it says. No, we will only bind you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. 3,000, another three symbol here given to us. Two new ropes like the two tails of the foxes tying up something. Now the 3,000 Israelites a picture like the 300 foxes are tying up Samson. 
It is a complete reversal of the situation. Samson was the one in control. Now he is the one without any control. He's surrounded. He is surrendered. He's powerless at the mercy of the men of Judah and ultimately the Philistines. He's being led to his captors to be put to death. A complete inversion of Samson's circumstances. But at the moment of Samson's weakness, what happens? Samson is brought out by the tribe of Judah before the Philistines, and the Philistines shout. This word can often mean rejoice. They realize here is our prized man tied up and bound. And they see him and shout out loud. At that exact moment, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon Samson. And just as Samson took out his unrighteous vengeance on those who were around him, tied up the foxes by their two tails, and then lit a torch that was tied up between those two tails, God now transforms Samson into his own torch of righteous vengeance against the Philistines. This portrayal here, this reason that we have 300 foxes with two tails tied together is to show us that now the torches has changed. Samson is the torch between the two cords. And through the Spirit of God, he apparently lights him on fire. The cords burn and the shackles melt on off of his body. Does Samson actually turn into flames? I don't know, but he is certainly conducted in such a way that he is like a flame. And Samson grabs a donkey jawbone, and God wields Samson to destroy the wicked Philistines that he had promised to Samson's parents that Samson would do in his lifetime. But God acts at the moment of Samson's greatest weakness. God does not need Samson's strength. God does not need Samson's vengeance to accomplish his own purposes on his own. We expect the story would finish here and and be done. We expect that this story would just stop. Okay, Samson goes and kills a thousand. That's how many of these other stories and judges end. But it doesn't stop here. The text tells us the fire, the flax caught on fire, his bonds melted off. He struck a thousand men. Samson sings a song praising himself. I have struck down a thousand men. And then the text tells us in verse 18, he was thirsty. Now, if you were lit on fire, I expect you would probably be pretty thirsty too, fighting a thousand men. But Samson's thirst is so great, he thinks he's going to die. And he cries out, and maybe more accurately way to put this, he complains to the Lord. God, you've done such an amazing salvation. He understands that this was God's work, even though just previously he attributed it to himself. Yet now you're going to kill me and leave me for dead and let the uncircumcised Philistines come and take me away? What's happening here? Samson is a mirror of Israel in the desert. When they wandered 40 years, when God had brought them out of Egypt, the great salvation that the people of God had seen. But were the people of God repentant? Were their hearts changed? Were their hearts transformed? What did they do? 
They complained. It's never enough. Does it matter how great a salvation God works before his people? Do they see it? All Samson can see is himself. It's no wonder that Samson gets angry like the way he does. Because all he sees is himself, his own problems, his own circumstances. And when anything gets in the way of that, he lashes out in anger. And that's the reason that we lash out in anger as well. Because we see ourselves. That's the only one that we're concerned about. And like Samson, we become vindictive, vengeful, and self-righteous. And you and I need to see what Samson and the Israelites needed to see. That we need a true Savior. One who, instead of taking justice into his own hands... One who, instead of lashing out those who attacked him, was patient, was kind, and gentle. One who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. One who, when his enemies attacked him, he prayed for them. Instead of pouring out his wrath on others, he took the wrath that was due against them. This passage is to teach us about anger, the way that God deals with anger, that he has righteous vengeance, righteous justice that he executes, and he will carry it out. But you and I will not know how to deal with our anger until we come to the cross and see the way that God deals with anger, the way that God deals with his anger against us for our sin when he extinguished his anger, when he poured out his full wrath on his own son. See, unlike our wrath, God's wrath is completely justified against us for our sin. It's completely proportionate to our sin. Our wrath and anger is so often unjustified, or when we are justified, our responses are so often disproportionate to the wrong that's been done to us. We immediately want vengeance. What does Jesus do? He takes our stead for angry people like us. He stands in our place and he bears the wrath. So that you and me can know love. And this is what transforms the way that we look at others when we perceive that we've been wronged, or when we have actually been wronged. The anger that we feel at them can never approach, in any way, shape, or form, the anger that the Lord feels against their sin. But what has God done? How has God dealt with sin? By pouring out on his son, on his own son. Ephesians 4.26 tells us to be angry and not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And that is what we see in Jesus Christ. The true Samson, who was 
lit on fire with the wrath of God, but he suffered it himself, who bore the punishment and anger against our sin for what we have done. And that transforms the way that we look at others when we see the wrong that they have done to us because we say, Lord, you've poured out your anger on your own son. How can I turn in vengeance immediately towards someone? How can I look at them and go about that kind of action? Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And we are a people who are infinitely grateful because the Lord has repaid his vengeance against us on his own son. And Jesus Christ has took that payment in our place so that we would know peace, we would know righteousness, that we would know gentleness and kindness and love. So look to Christ. Do not be like Samson, venting his full wrath and anger. Yes, the Lord used him but that is no excuse for his actions. Praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ who took our place on that cross. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do give thanks for Jesus Christ and that he has borne our sins for us and the wrath of God against them upon the cross, that he did not come down from that cross and that you did not release him from there, but that full atonement was made Lord, he is the propitiation for our sins, the wrath bearer. Help us to be grateful for what you have done in Jesus Christ, to be thankful. And form in us through your Holy Spirit a heart of peacefulness, of kindness, of gentleness, of self-control. So that when we do feel angry, that our first response would be to lay in our beds, ponder in our hearts that we have a merciful Savior. And to turn to others from that attitude. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.